Bless the Lord tonight. How you doing out there? Good to be in God's house? Amen. We're going to be in the Word in just a minute here. I'll tell you, Acts 22, spent a lot of time just studying and kind of dissecting the text, and I feel it's... uh, Feels good stuff for us tonight, a good place for us to be. So let's just thank the Lord. We're going to see our video in just a minute. We're going to thank the Lord for the word, and then we're going to hop in there together, go through all 30 verses. Father, I just thank you tonight for the book of Acts, a blueprint for the church. God, as the early church forged the way, and God, they set the precedence and they set the, the bar. I pray that the church contemporary would live up to your word, that we would be a biblical church doing biblical things. We would see fruit produced, God. Help us to catch a sense of the urgency that Paul ministered with, to catch fire for evangelism and to see our opportunities to advance the kingdom and to bring those who are in darkness into the light. Lord, let this chapter come alive to us. Father, even in the persecution that Paul faces, he kept his faith and his joy and his enthusiasm, and he continued to move forward. So God, let that be an encouragement to us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Enjoy Acts 22. And fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. (laughs) I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law 
and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. <laughs> and at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, <laughs> be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He's not fit to live! As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen. Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Anybody attacked by a mob today and beat for the kingdom? No. You're doing better than Paul. <laughs> Acts 22, Paul tries to make a defense uh, 
of his ministry. He knew that his ministry to the Gentiles, although it was God-ordained and producing fruit and it was accepted by the leadership in Jerusalem who was serving God, he knew it was going to create quite a stir among the Jews in Jerusalem. That's why they warned him not to go there, and he knew it was his destiny, and so bravely he does go there. He tries to make a defense of his ministry by sharing his testimony and his divine calling. Now, one of the things I want you to notice is he uses his testimony to try and disarm them and to try and get them to see where he's coming from. All of us have a testimony. Let me try that again. All of us have a testimony. Amen. Amen. And all of our testimonies are powerful. And you might think, oh, well, mine's not, you know, I was, you know, I was saved as a little kid and, you know, I never, and listen, your testimony is powerful and you should sit back and allow the Holy Spirit to show you the details of how he wooed you and called you and saved you because you know what, you and I need to be able to share our testimonies. They're powerful and they're a good evangelism tool. Paul shares his testimony with the Jews. Now, this mob had just beaten him and They hadn't heard a thing that he had to say. They pretty much snatched him up. They made their accusations, and then they began to beat him. If it wasn't for the Romans, they would have killed Paul right there. You know, it's... You know, it's something that we're seeing in our own country now, the, how mobs get together and they get crazy and they start getting violent. And, you know, once the, once the dam breaks on that, it's hard to slow the mob down. If it wasn't for the Romans, if it wasn't for them intervening, they would have killed Paul right there. You say, why didn't it happen? Because God wasn't done with Paul yet. Understand, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. No one's going to take our lives away from us. You and I don't have to be afraid. If we're walking with God and we're serving God, our days are numbered, amen? And you know what? He's well able to keep us. Many times they wanted to kill Jesus. What did he do? He slipped through the crowd. He got all ninja-like. And he slipped through the crowd. You say, how did he do that? Why was he able to do that? You know, it was because it wasn't his time yet. I want you to see the providence of God and the keeping power of God and also the importance of sharing a testimony. In verse 1 here, Paul starts off and he's trying to connect with the people. He says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense, I now offer you. So he's trying to make a connection with the people in the crowd and he addresses them as an insider. He calls them brothers and fathers. He's saying, hey, look, I'm not a stranger, I'm one of you. And see, I want you to see that. He's trying to make a connection. You and I need to connect with people so we can impact them with the gospel. He's about to share his testimony. He's about to give a powerful testimony. He wants to do it as an insider. He says, brothers and fathers. Notice he's always respectful, Paul. You know, that's got to be the Holy Spirit on him directing his words because he had just suffered a great injustice at their hands, yet He's respectful of them. Why? Because he loved the Jewish people and he loved all lost people and he had a heart to see the kingdom established in their lives. You know, we're wise to remain respectful even when other people are disrespectful. Come on, can I get an amen? Do I got to jump down there and get like, you know, mask on and get right up to you because, you know, I need you to respond tonight. We need to stay respectful, even though others are disrespectful. We say, well, they weren't respectful. They don't deserve respect. You and I need to take the high road. You know why? Because we're the king's kids. You know what? When, When you and I are right, when you and I are righteous, we don't need to get rude and nasty. And, you know, we don't need to sink to that level. And realize the minute you do, you know, there's one thing about wrestling pigs. It's never a good idea. 
Because you get dirty and the pig has fun. Hello? You know? Oh, well, I got right down in the mud with him, Pastor Mike, and I told them a thing or two. I gave him a piece of my mind, even, even though I only have two pieces left. Gave a piece away. So Paul is respectful. He, he doesn't, you know, tell them how miserable and rotten they are. You know, he just got beat on. I don't know if any of you have ever gotten beat on before, but it is a traumatic experience. You know, maybe some of his teeth were broken. He's bleeding through his nose. He can't speak properly. I, wa I want you to see what's going on here. He maintains his composure in all of this. Wow. Let that be a lesson to us. He speaks to them as an insider. He remains dignified. He tries to connect with them. He takes the high road. Verse 2, like a master order and an elder statesman, he speaks to them in a familiar Hebrew dialect. Paul catches their attention. He, he knows his audience. He knows who he's talking to. And when he speaks in this Hebrew dialect, everybody settles down because he is one of them. He's an insider. He speaks their language, and he's got something to say. So it quells the crowd, and he connects with them. You and I need to know who we're talking to when we present the gospel. See, it's important we know our audience. Who are we talking to? Are we talking to, you know, this type of people or these type of people? But the more we can connect with them, the more they're going to listen to what we have to say. He tries to build a bridge with his audience, and we should too. You know, Ravi Zacharias was a master at this. He could build a bridge with any audience. Do you know, you realize Ravi just passed away. Many of you know one of the greatest Christian apologists of our time. He was invited to speak at Muslim mosques. And they let him in. Why? Because he was dignified. He remained respectful. He found common ground with them. Ravi was a master at this, and he was able, as Paul was able, to bring the gospel into really dark places. Places in India, uh, Buddhist temples, all these places, they would invite him to speak. Even though his theology was different, because he was respectful and articulate and intelligent and insightful, he was able to speak into their situation, and they actually invited him. Wow. Verse 3, Paul continues building the connection, and he cites his upbringing. Yeah, I was born in Cilicia, but, you know, I, I grew up here in Jerusalem. He cites his spiritual education. I, I was educated under Gamaliel, and th that name right away carried a lot of weight with the Jews. He was one of the premier teachers, uh, you know, just a brilliant Hebrew scholar, and Paul sat under him and was taught by him. So he speaks their language. He does a little name drop, and that's what Gamaliel was about. Hey, I'm Harvard educated. I'm a Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> so he gets their attention. You know, I was brought up in this city. I was educated in this city. And I was just as zealous to persecute those who followed the way as, as you were. And I followed the law, and I was zealous for the law as you are. So he's making that connection with them. <clears throat> now in verse 5 again, he makes another point. He said, the high priest can testify that I myself persecuted those who followed the way by killing and imprisoning them. So here's a man who, as a Pharisee, was educated by one of the premier scholars. He is an intelligent, powerful orator. He was zealous for the law. And the high priest knew who he was, and he was out there persecuting these Christians that he now claims to be one. So all of these things are building the bridge, and I just want you to see that uh, none of what he says here is, is wasted. It's all trying to connect with these people. Why? So he can get free? No. So he can 
give them the gospel that some may believe it. Understand Paul's motive here. He knows he's going to be martyred eventually. He doesn't know when or where or how or by who. Maybe he doesn't know all the details. But he's not really, first and foremost, looking to preserve his life. Although we're going to see him pull a citizenship card in a little while, and we're going to talk about that. But his, his primary motivation is to build a bridge with them so that they'll hear the gospel and be saved. Uh, you know, verses 6 through 21 are Paul's testimony, and he gives it to them with great detail, passion, and sincerity. Uh, you know, when you give your testimony, it needs to be sincere. You should give it with passion. Nobody, nobody wants to, you know, hear something, you know, that's boring or just mellow. Amen? You know, as Christians, we need to be enthusiastic. You know, it's kind of like a wet blanket in here, even in worship. You know, we need to cast that thing off. Don't, don't let the devil quench you, amen? We, we, God is still on the throne. We're still his children. We need to be excited and enthusiastic, amen? Amen? Amen. Shake that off. Shake that mess off. People are like, oh, can I worship or not? You know, I don't, I don't want to go too loud. I'll get the COVID demon upset. God's still on the throne, people. God's looking for faith when he comes back. I hope he finds some. And so... Paul's given his testimony here. He's got passion. He's, he, he, he's sincere. What he's saying is true. He gives a lot of details. Details are important, but make sure your details are interesting to the listener. Married people, when you talk to each other, make sure you're interesting to your spouse. Now it's really quiet. This is one of the things we cover in communication when Kim and I do premarital counseling. You know, it's like you get married and you're like, you quit. You quit trying to be interesting. You got to listen to me. You are stuck with me. We should be interesting. We should include details that were interesting to the listener. Paul, there again, as a master order, as an elder statesman, make sure to do all this. You know, Christians could work on that to be friendly and to be enthusiastic and to be interesting. You know, more people are going to come into the kingdom that way. He who wins souls is wise. Any wise guys out there? Yeah, be interesting. So he gives the details. He does it with passion. It's all sincere. It's all true. Uh, verse 6, this text serves as a great example of us how to share our testimony. He includes details that he knows the people will find interesting. And Paul gives them the where and the when. He said, I was approaching Damascus. It was about noontime. What? More details. Then a bright light flashed from heaven. You know, so this is, he's captivated his audience now. He's not storytelling. He's sharing his testimony. Verse 7. He says, I fell to the ground and I heard a voice and the voice said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this, this right, right out of the box, there's a lot of stuff going on. This is an amazing testimony. In fact, if any one of us were up here tonight sharing that testimony, I think we would, we would have the room and people would be like, what? And he's, he's, he's testifying about these things. The bright light flashed from heaven. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He says in verse 8, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you persecute. Wow. At that moment in that mob that had just been a murderous riot, I bet you could have heard a pin drop. Nothing silences the crowd like the name of Jesus. Because when the name of Jesus is injected into a situation, it's polarizing. 
Some people there, you know, maybe they thought good things about Jesus. Some of them hated Jesus and the way and all of that stuff, and they were glad that he was crucified. Whatever the situation was, that polarizing statement caught their attention. Verse 9, perhaps sensing that his story might, you know, be a little hard to believe, he states the fact that there were other witnesses to this event. So Paul's saying, hey, you know, I wasn't just, you know, dreaming this up. It's not because I ate spicy food before I went to bed. He said, others saw the light and heard the voice, but they could not understand what was being said. So he tries to add details that will add authenticity to what he's saying. In verse 10 and 11, Paul communicates to the crowd that he was instructed to go to Damascus where he would, uh, he would go and uh, be told by God what he was being called to do. So this is a matter of calling. It's a matter of his apostleship. He's, he's telling all these details. Why? Because he's trying to tell them, look, I didn't come up with this idea to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. This was a God idea. God inspired me to do this, and this is how it happened. A bright light, knocked to the ground, uh, blinded eyes. All of these things, you know, are, he's trying to share the testimony to get them to understand why he reached out to the Gentiles. And he, he's telling them everything that's true. He's not, you know, kind of just adding stuff. Do you know when people tell stories sometimes, it's mostly true? You ever heard family members tell a story and the more they tell it, they keep adding stuff? My grandfather, every Thanksgiving, I mean, he had stories. Where they, they would just grow. They were growing stories. And, uh, you know, everything he's saying in here is true. Uh, they're having a hard time uh, believing this, but he says, I was instructed by God. This, is a, this was a divine encounter to go to the Ma- Damascus to find out what I was appointed to do. True apostleship requires personal interaction with Jesus. The 11 apostles had direct interaction with Jesus, and that, that's a qualification to be one of the apostles. I, I still believe there's a, a gift of, of apostleship, and there's apostolic things that can still happen in the church, but you know what? You and I are not going to be one of the 12 apostles. Hello? And there's a lot of clowns that go around giving themselves titles, calling themselves apostles and all this stuff. Come on with that clowning around. Okay, did you see Jesus? Did you have an encounter with him? Did you see him face to face? Did you hear him? Did he speak to you? That's what we're talking about with apostleship here. Now, the 11 had that. Judas is gone, remember. They tried, to, uh, uh, they tried to add an apostle, but that was more man's idea than God's idea. God had an apostle picked out. His name was Saul. He was going to turn him into Paul, and here he's doing it right here. Uh, Saul communicates that he was blinded by that bright light in verse 11. Uh, and he was led by the hand blind into Damascus. Verse 12 and 13, Ananias is mentioned. So here's another person that can, you know, collaborate his story here. This is not just Paul sitting alone in a basement having a dream. There are other people involved. He mentions a man named Ananias. He's a devout, well-respected Jewish man, and he's mentioned as a witness to Saul's divine encounter. In fact, Ananias has a prophetic insight into what is going on with Saul here, and what, what God speaks to him and tells him that he's coming, and so there again, this is God's confirmation here. I don't know how much of the, what he was saying they were believing, but to us, we understand what's going on here. 
It means something to us. Ananias hears from God, and, and Ananias will reveal the purpose of God to Paul. Ananias also ministers a miracle of healing to him. Paul testified to the fact that he was blind. Ananias connects with him, encourages him in the Lord, lays hands on him, and heals him, and his eyes are opened. And so, you know, there's powerful things going on here. He's talking about divine encounters and miracles, and uh, all of this is captivating the mob at this point, and at this point, they are still listening. So let's recap for a second what Paul said here. He said, you know, we, I was a well-bred, well-educated Jewish Pharisee testifying, uh, you know, about what God has done in my life. I had a divine encounter. I was knocked down. I heard voices. I became blind. I, uh, first I saw a bright light. Then I became blind. And then a man opened up my eyes and told me what God wanted me to do. Now, in this recap here, you might think, you know, all of this uh, to the crowd might sound as credible as some guy saying, you know, I was abducted by aliens. Because there's not faith there like there is here. So to them, they're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? You know, I was watching the video how they depicted the Romans' faces and stuff, but there was a lot of people there listening to this true testimony that I can guarantee because there was a, it wasn't mixing with faith, they thought this guy is crazy. He's crazy. And you know what? You and I are called to share our testimonies. And you know what, Pastor Mike? Some people are gonna think we're crazy. That bald guy's crazy, that Pastor Mike guy. That balding guy, Pastor Rick, he's crazy too. <laughs> so what do we all, oh, I, I don't want people to think I'm crazy, I'll just be quiet. Can't do it. Some people are just not gonna, and, and, I'm, and I'm belaboring this to a degree because I think the fact that we will be rejected and not believed and thought to be crazy shuts a lot of us down. And we don't preach the truth. But it's okay if they don't receive it. As long as we do it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and we tell the truth about Jesus and we tell the truth about what he's done in our lives, it's worth the risk. People say, well, you know what? I don't want to scare people away. Where are you going to scare them to? A, a, a worse section in hell? Hello? Hello? They're going to hell without Jesus. So I don't want to scare them. What are they going to go into a bad neighborhood in hell? They're in the Lower East Side in hell. No, hell is hell. So what are we worried about? Oh, I'm going to push them away. I'm going to scare them away. We've got to preach the truth. We've got to share our testimonies. Some of us have been too silent for too long. And we've, we've got to open our mouth and let it rip sometimes. Well, they're going to think I'm crazy. They probably don't like you anyway. Paul is doing what God ordained him to do. Uh, you know, the people, uh, he has no indication at that moment who's receiving it and who isn't it. And many times we don't know. Many times, you know, we don't know even after we're done. We're going to meet some people in heaven that got there just because of a seed we planted in them. That's a good thing, amen. Verse 14 is critical information for the apostle Paul. It says, God called him and revealed to him to him to allow him to see and to hear from Jesus himself. So verse 14, if you take a look at it, you're going to see that, you know, this is, a, this is something that would seal Paul's apostleship. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteousness who, and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance 
from his mouth. So the testimony is what? That Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to him and he spoke to him. And this is something that would solidify his apostleship. The other apostles accepted Paul. Uh, you know, there's criticism in uh, different circles that Paul, you know, wasn't, he was a lesser apostle. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I don't know what in the world makes him lesser, but uh, he, he has all the markings of a true apostle, and he is an apostle, and he shares that here. Verses 15 through 16 list the parameters of Paul's calling. For you will be a witness, that's his job, that's our job, to be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. So you and I have much the same calling. You and I need to be a witness to all men about what we have seen and heard concerning Jesus. That's why your testimony is powerful, amen? That's why how God snatched you out of the darkness and brought you into the light is powerful. It's gonna minister to somebody, but I guarantee you this, it'll minister to nobody if you refuse to share it. So Paul's out there doing his thing, Ananias pushes Paul immediately, uh, in verse 16, to get baptized in water, following the natural order of the salvation process. Believe and be baptized, and you'll fill, be filled with the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. God is a God of order. He does things in order. He's ordering Paul's steps. He, he confronts him. He brings salvation to him. Now he's he heals him. He's being baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit. All of these things. It says here what? That be baptized immediately. Why? To wash away your sins. So realize there's that element in water baptism where the old nature is buried and the old man is dealt with. And we identify with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection when we come out of that water. Come on. Water baptism is an important step. It's not, you know, for Christians who, you know, might like to take an extra step. No, it's part of the process. Believe and be baptized and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want the whole deal? Do what he says. Amen. Verse 17 through 21 is a summation and a concluding statement of Paul's defense. And even though it's well articulated, it doesn't go well. (laughs) Uh, Verse you know, 17 through 18, Paul talks about he being in a trance. And, you know, there again, this might be hard to believe for some people. It happened when I, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So talking about the divine leading of God, talking about, hey guys, the reason I left before and we didn't get to settle all these issues is because God told me to leave. <laughs> when, God, when God tells you to go, you need to go. When God closes the door, don't try and open it again. When God removes people from your life, don't pull them back in. Come on. He's saying, I was in a trance here. And there again, it wasn't my idea to run away right away, you know, to not settle this. But I had to go, and I went to the Gentiles. Verse 19 through 20, Paul's past is mentioned again. He cites the harsh persecution he afflicted on believers, you know, including the enthusiastic participation he had in the stoning death of Stephen. He was like, they martyred Stephen, I held their clothes. I persecuted and imprisoned those who were in the way. They called Christianity the way before we were called Christians and then it got called Christianity. But it was called the way. And he said, I persecuted the way. I, I participated in Stephen's martyrdom. So there, he, there again, he's saying, hey, Jewish guys, I was zealous for the law 
and I was doing everything that you think you should be doing, but God arrested me and God spoke to me and God changed my heart and what I formerly persecuted, now I am one of them. So you see what he's doing? He's, he's taking them down this trail to the point where the climax is, there has been a change in me. Will you guys accept it or reject it? That's all we can do is bring people to a place where they can either accept or reject the truth. We're not responsible. Well, I, you know, I, I laid out the whole gospel, the Romans wrote, I quoted all the scriptures right, I used a funny story and I was nice the whole time. And they didn't get saved, I'm a failure. No, you're not. Our job is to plant the seed. Our job is to, is to be obedient. Our job is to go and try and make disciples, but we can't force them to believe. That's between them and God. We only fail if we keep silent. And Paul, you know, he is saying everything he needs to say here. He, it's definitely under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Um, he's trying to connect with them. Verse 21 is the clincher. As he communicates, he was in a tight spot that, you know, those who followed Jesus were afraid of him because he, they knew he persecuted and, and killed them. And those that he came from, the Jews, they were mad at him because seemingly he was dashing their laws and going in a different direction. So Paul's saying, I'm in a tight spot here. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a friend in any corner and my back is up against the wall. And you know, many times as a Christian, we're gonna feel like that. That's part of taking a stand for Christ. That's part, you know, if you're, if you're here on Sundays and you're hearing the messages I'm preaching, if you're listening online, what, I'm, what I got cooking up for Sunday here, it, don't miss it. I want to tell you something. Persecution is coming and we need to be prepared for it. Amen. And we need to know how we're going to respond to it. Because if we respond to it the wrong way in the flesh, we're, we're going to miss an opportunity to make a spiritual point. And so... Paul's saying, I'm in a tough spot here. The, you Jews are mad at me. The Christians were, you know, they were afraid of me, so I left. I, the word for me was go, and I went. God said, go, and I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. He did. So he's like, I was gone, but guys, I'm back now. Are you happy to see me? Not really. They beat him up, and they want to kill him. So this is his one chance to testify to them. In verse 22 through 23, the response to Paul's defense, while predictable, is not encouraging. He did everything he was supposed to do. He shared it the right way. He had the right heart. He was respectful. He took the high road. He, he left out none of the details. He even was self-deprecating. He said, look, I, 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 I persecuted and I martyred. And still they reject his testimony. They, you know, it's predictable, but it's not exciting. We always hope that people will believe, that they'll receive, that they'll repent. I want you to see here, you can speak the truth, you can do it in love, you can do it with humility and accuracy and still not get the response you want. But it doesn't mean you failed. We've only failed if we refuse to speak when God says speak. The truth is very offensive to people. It's offensive to our generation. There are many people in our generation that scoff at the truth and they don't want to hear the truth. You say, Pastor, is that a new thing? No. The prophets spoke the truth and they stoned and killed the prophets. God's people did. What can we expect from the world when we tell the truth? The truth is out of step with the doctrines of this world, amen? We preach the truth and sometimes people don't want to hear it. But other times... 
people are ripe and they're hungry and they do believe and they are saved and they are brought into the kingdom of God. So we live for those experiences, amen? Uh, they're not responding well. We see their response is dark. It's pretty dramatic and the, the mob is whipped up again into a frenzy. They shout things like, away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. So they go from listening to him, but when he tells them that, you know, about Jesus and the fact that God called him to reach the Gentiles, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. They're angry, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're crying, they're throwing dirt in the air. It's like an Italian funeral, you know? I mean, it's just they're trying to get in the casket, they're jumping in the hole. It's crazy. If you've ever been there. <laughs> do other cultures do that or just, yeah? How do you know? You're, you're, you're cultured. You're cultured like a yogurt. <laughs> so it's, it's a mess and it's, it's a riot again and they want to kill him again. And the Roman commander, he's had enough. He's been patient. He's listened to this whole, you know, dialogue. Who, who knows what he thinks about Paul? Verse 24, the commander figures out that, you know, the only way he's going to get to the bottom of this and get some real answers here is through a good whipping. So, you know, take the guy who just got a beating, bring him inside for a nicer beating. There again, not having a great day. But this time... Paul had had enough beatings for the day. This time he uh, apparently doesn't, doesn't want another one, so he pulls out his Roman citizenship card. You know, it's interesting that he waits till he gets out on the table and they stretch him out to scourge him, and then he says, uh, you know, do you normally scourge a Roman citizen without being convicted? Oh, this is a bombshell. Whether you, whether you realize it or not or understand the culture, that was a big no-no what these guys just did. And Paul, you know, he, he, this time he, he decides to, you know, pull the Roman citizen card and he was uncondemned and they were going to scourge him and that was a serious offense. Once the Romans heard what was going on, that was a game changer. He had rights as a Roman citizen and they had already violated some of his rights by chaining him up and they were about to scourge him, which would have been, if they had done that, the repercussions for that were the death penalty. Serious. The Romans didn't play around. <laughs> and so once they heard immediately that they mishandled uh, Paul, they, they went in and uh, they unchained him. And, you know, they, they kind of showed in the video that, they, you know, the other guys went out of the room. The commander himself unchained him. So there again, they're trying to smooth this over. It, it, Paul knew his rights. And at this juncture, he, he pulled his rights out. It's important for us to know our rights. And, you know, many times we are going to need to understand our rights so that people don't take advantage of our rights. Do you know in the education system these days, they don't teach the young people their constitutional rights for decades. Some of you are old enough to have been in school where you learned civics, where you learned government, where you learned your constitutional rights. Young people don't know them. Do you know why they systematically refuse to teach them? Because they're easier to take away when you don't know them. Hello, wake up. People don't know their rights. Paul knew his rights, and he pulled them out at this time. You know, I've heard Christians say that just because we have rights as American citizens doesn't mean we should invoke them all the time. And there's some truth in that. Uh, the, the truth is this. There are occasions where God may ask us to just take the persecution, and if he does, then that's all right. 
But there are times where we can lean on our rights and we shouldn't have to just allow people to take advantage of us. We're coming up to a time with persecution facing the church. It's already happening, people. If you don't know it, you know, I don't want to tell you to go on, on, on social media and look, but they're already protesting churches. They're already, there was just a church over the weekend where they had, uh, they had protesters out there roughing up people. They actually punched the pastor and hit him and, and he was trying to get people into his church and then they were mocking him, how's your head, pastor? You know? And so what do you do in that situation? Do you use your rights? Do you defend yourself? You have to be led by the Holy Spirit because it's an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be glorified. But there's, uh, you know, two good tests about whether or not we should invoke our rights. The first is this. Is the suffering we're about to endure redemptive suffering or foolish suffering? There's two kinds of suffering in Scripture. There's redemptive suffering that when you allow yourself to go through it, it redeems you and it also gives glory to God. And then there's foolish suffering when we just allow ourselves to be abused or we do stupid things that bring bad consequences. Is the suffering redemptive or is it foolish? And the answer to that determines whether or not maybe we should just take the persecution and not invoke our rights. Number two, is God asking me to suffer for his glory or am I mistaking pacifism with spirituality? The Bible doesn't teach pacifism and it doesn't make you spiritual if you're passive. Sometimes it makes you a coward. Sometimes it makes you weak that you don't have enough backbone to stand up for God, for yourself and for the, the innocence around you. Come on, Wednesday night, there's only a few of you here. I know this is good preaching. I don't know where the other people are, but the heck with them. They're missing it. In fact, destroy the CD. They don't even get to listen to it. So, you know, is it pacifism? And don't mistake pacifism for spirituality. Sometimes we need to stand up and defend innocence. Sometimes we need to stand up and defend righteousness over wickedness. Right now, there's a lot of wickedness running loose in our country. And you know what? The righteous have not even begun to step up and fight back yet. I believe God has restrained us. But if the gloves come off, people, I'm telling you, it's going to get real interesting real quick. <laughs> I just listen for God. You give me the green light. I'm ready to go. And you need to be ready to go too, to stand up for righteousness. If we suffer persecution and it's for the glory of God, what an honor it would be to suffer persecution for the glory of God. But if God says enough is enough, put the wicked down, the righteous better stand up. The righteous better stand up. So Paul invokes his rights. He saves himself a beating. It's only a temporary victory here. You know, the Romans aren't going to let him go. They really should let him go. They really should let him go out the back door. They really messed up. They chained him up. They were about to beat him. They should just be like, why don't you, you know, let's just let this die down and we'll let you about the back door. But they don't let him go. They keep him in the system. Okay, and I want you to see something. People who have power hardly ever relinquish their power willingly. And we're seeing some of that in our nation, in our governments, with our governors right now. Okay? All of this stuff is relevant to us. The Romans could have let him go, but they didn't let him go. They kept him in the system. Why? Because they wanted to play a, a game of kick the can down the road, see who was going to deal with him. And that's what's going to happen with Paul from these moments forward. They're going to send him to this guy and to this guy and to this guy because nobody wants to make a decision. 
So they, politicians, it's political. They kick the can down the road. They want somebody else to make the decision. You say, well, that's not fair. No, it's not. It's not just either. But God uses this because every person, every court, every leader that Paul stands in front of, he testifies about the kingdom of God. Even in injustice, God can use us as a beacon of righteousness to testify about his goodness if we're humble enough to suffer persecution for his name when he asks. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for the word. I thank you for all the implications in here, Lord God, as the Holy Spirit opens it up to us. Help us to understand that this applies to us right now. And you and I need to make some decisions about how we're going to face persecution and endure persecution because many are going to be offended and they're going to shrink back and they're going to hide in the dark. But the righteous need to stand and shine the light of truth. God, direct us, lead us, show us when it's a green light. Show us when it's time to stand up against unrighteousness. Father, show us when it's time to be silent, when it's time to take the low road. Direct us, guide us. Let us be instruments in your hands in this hour as Paul was in the hour that he faced in his time. Let us be as faithful as Paul in our time. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.